Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. verses 1 to 3 says this the Lord had said to Abraham go from your country your people and your father's household to the land I will show you I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you I will make your name great and you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses whoever curses you I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you And just to add to the anticipation before David comes, we're actually going to watch a video, and then he'll come. We started out in a room, about 50 people. But we started with a vision for how every aspect of the city could be renewed. We loved the culture, diversity, history, character, and people of this city. We still do. Now we have four growing services, each with its own unique identity and we're part of the fabric of this city. So the question now is, what's next? How can we use our time, our energy and our resources to add to the life that is already here? The answer, we want to work for the cultural, social and spiritual renewal of our city. What if we saw culture renewal so that every aspect contributed to the flourishing of the city? So that academia and business, media and the arts, science and technology all contributed to the thriving of women and men across the capital? What if we saw its social renewal so that this is a city where the vulnerable are cared for and provided with opportunity? A place where the isolated and excluded are drawn in. A city that's known for its peaceful streets and the safety of its communities. What if we saw a renewal of faith so that many of the inhabitants found the teachings of Jesus Christ met their deepest needs for meaning, satisfaction, freedom and forgiveness? And that the results of this were greater levels of love and care, healing and forgiveness, creativity and vitality throughout the city. This is our vision and it starts with you and me. What if we set out to create that sort of city, energized and enabled by the love of God? What would we have to do? What's next? By 2020, we plan to have eight services in six locations that will welcome people of every stage of faith. Underlying this will be a network of groups across the city where people can find friendship, support, and a place to grow. There'll be a thriving pipeline preparing young leaders to start new services. Every level of leadership will reflect the racial and gender diversity of the city. You have to ask where this will take us in our interconnected world. Who knows what other cities we could find ourselves living and serving in in due course. But for now, there's plenty to do right here. This will not be accomplished overnight and there'll be challenges along the way, but this is our vision for our church, our city and our world. And it starts with every one of us saying, I'm all in. Great, well good evening everyone. I've never followed myself before, so... This is a new experience for me. And uh, 
we'll come back to the video in a while, but suffice to say, it's part of a dream that we have. And I'm very happy to go on record, we're big on dreams, big on being dreamers. I think there's a certain amount of cynicism that gets around, isn't there? No, dreamers, sort of otherworldly, never get anything done, worthless bunch. But my contention is actually that dreams change the world. I think they really do. Let me just give you a couple of examples. 150 years ago, round here, William Booth. William Booth had this dream that he could show the love of God to those that needed it the most. And he started to think what amazing things might happen as a result of that. And he and his wife, Catherine, were just a powerhouse. And within a relatively short amount of time, they were feeding literally millions of men and women. They were providing accommodation for 1.5 million people in East London. They were fee uh, providing employment for 12,000. In due course, this was to go right around the world. If you were to look for the Salvation Army now, that's the organization he started, you'd find them in 127 nations, in the most needy parts of those nations, refugee camps, uh, crisis relief, putting back families where individuals had got lost and they would search for them over whole continents. But those achievements were not easily won. Once the Salvation Army had got going and was really starting to care for and lift out of poverty those in poverty, they found there was resistance. There always is because there's always someone making money from other people's oppression. And those that didn't like what was happening formed their own army. They called it the Skeleton Army. And they attacked Salvationists wherever they saw them, on the streets. Many Salvationists were put in hospital. Several died. They would fling dead rats at preachers. Even on several occasions... They would come up to the windows of the auditoriums that the Salvation Army were using and they would pour gunpowder through the windows and then set the gunpowder alight. I don't think that's ever happened at Christchurch London. But it did happen for them, but for William Booth, they were like flies that he just swatted out of the way. And he just kept going. He became, he became a hero in his lifetime. 47,000 people attended his funeral including the grandmother of our current Queen Elizabeth II, Queen Mary. I wonder how many people would say, I'm so glad William Booth dreamt and lived out his dream. Example number two, you'll recognize this lady. Mother, now Saint Teresa of Calcutta. She didn't often talk about how her dreams started. It wasn't her way to do that sort of thing. But occasionally she would allude to a very profound and powerful experience she once had on a train to Darjeeling. And on that train she had an experience of the love of God that changed her life and persuaded her that her priority was to be the most needy people in the most needy cities in the world. And many of us know the story of how she and her fellow nuns would minister to those with HIV, AIDS, with tuberculosis, with leprosy. She, like William Booth, a hundred years before her, went around the world, 
caring for the most needy. And she became an icon of Christian ministry in our generation so that virtually every world leader wanted to be seen at her funeral. Something deeply ironic about that, isn't there? She, the one who wasn't bothered about being seen, brought the most powerful people in the world to her funeral because they wanted to be seen to identify with her. Glad she dreamt, aren't you? Third one, you recognize this guy as well. Nelson Mandela. He expressed his dream like this. He said, I have a dream for a free society in which all persons live together in harmony and with equal opportunities. It's an ideal, he said, which I hope to live for and to achieve. But if needs be, it's an ideal for which I am prepared to die. And that, of course, is why he had so much authority. Because he really, we got the impression he really was prepared to die. These were not empty words of some campaigning politician. This was a man who went to prison for 27 years. None of us expected him to come out alive, let alone to come out, be the first black president of South Africa and start to build the Rainbow Nation. I'm glad he dreamt as well. And tonight I want to look at one of the first dreamers in the Bible, Abraham. He had a dream. He had a huge dream which dominated his life. But it's not just an inspirational character from an ancient story. Because you and I, if we're followers of Jesus, are related to Abraham. The Bible says that he is the father of our faith and we are the children of Abraham. Now most of us here have parents who one day we will inherit things from. I don't know what you've got your eye on, the wardrobe or the cutlery or something. But you'll inherit something someday. Well, we also inherit from Abraham. Abraham's our spiritual father and we inherit this dream that he had. Because to summarize most of scripture in three or four sentences, it works like this. Abraham had this huge dream. It's only possible because of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you and I are now to put hands and legs to that dream and work it out. So what was the dream? What was the dream that Abraham had that we now inherit and we're now to live out because of Jesus making it all possible? Well, to sum it up very simply, Abraham's dream was that God would one day take away all the suffering, sadness and pain that this world has ever had and that lives in your and my life right now and would finish it all. It's a wonderful thing. It was very moving for me being at the South Service this morning where most of John and Abby Payne's friends congregated. Not all, but many of them. It was raw, it was tender, it was painful, and it was hope-filled as well. And the hope was wonderful, but it will be wonderful to know that one day there's not going to be that pain either. And that will be the case. And that was part of Abraham's dream. Abraham's dream was that all the... Darkness, evil, pain and suffering will one day be reversed. And it would happen in three steps, which we read in those three or four verses that Al read to us a few minutes ago. And the steps are simply this. Number one, God would take an old, infertile couple. Should we just pause there for a sec? Not the people that you and I would probably choose. 
the trajectory of, of, of those first 11 chapters was such that when you finish reading Genesis 11, as a reader, you're thinking, things have got so bad, I think they're going to get wiped out. I mean, that's already happened with the store, with the flood and Noah. I think it's going to happen again. Things aren't any better. But instead of wiping everything out, God looks around for two people he can use. And he finds this old pair. And it's said of Sarah that her body is past the age of bearing children. And he says, I can use you. And there's this parallel that goes on. Beginning of Genesis 1, what does God create the world out of? Nothing. And then his rescue mission, which starts in Genesis 12, we've just read about. How does he start that? He starts it out of essentially nothing. Old couple who couldn't do anything. It should give you and I hope when we think about our dreams. Because most of us probably qualify on that basis. So three steps. The first step, he was going to take this old infertile couple and he was going to cause them to reproduce the life of God in them over and over and over and over until they became a mighty nation. We, here tonight, are some of that mighty nation. We're the result of that replication over and over and over. That's the first step. The second step was that this mighty people would bless the whole world, would do the whole world good. That's why we work, and we'll come back to this, but that's why we work for the cultural, social, and spiritual renewal of the city. We want to be known as those who, just like Justin Martyr said to Nero at the beginning of the persecution, he said, don't kill us, we're your best citizens. I want to be known as the best neighbor in the street. I want to be known as a great citizen, not for me, but because I follow him. So a great, replicate out of nothingness all this life, a great nation, this nation will bless the world, and because it was going to take so many generations, God says, and I will protect you, and I will keep you. And that's what was going to happen. Now, because we now inherit that dream, every generation of followers of Christ have to ask this question, what does that dream mean for us? What does that dream mean for the East London Christchurch service? What does it mean for Christchurch as a whole? And what does it mean for you? If, you're, if you have a dream tonight, I hope that it will fit into, um, we'll watch, I'll, I'll try and show you how, but it will fit into Abraham's dream. So that's a big question we've been asking as leaders in this church. We've been asking for the last six months. We've prayed a lot. We've talked a lot. And we've said, what is our response to Abraham's huge dream? How do we live that out here in 21st century in London? And I want to share something of that with you this evening. And you've got a spoiler, at least, in the video. Before I just express more of the vision and, the what's, and, and, and what's next, what follows from that, let me just say three things. Number one, we are really personally invested in this as leaders. This is not just an idle scheme. This matters deeply to us. Philippa, my wife and I are just past, just recently past 50. We reckon it, it means that we've got at least 20 years we can give to this. In fact, I, I thought before the service she was in, which was the last one in the West End, I thought I should mention that I was going to tell everyone her age and just sort of check it out. And her only response to me was she said, tell them 25 years, not 20 years. <laughs> so... This, this, we are invested in this. We are invested in this. That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is that 
Christchurch London is committed to the cultural, social and spiritual renewal of the city. Now, people sometimes ask about that. They say, really? I mean, should a church do that? I mean, surely, or clearly the church should do the spiritual renewal, but isn't the arrest a diversion? Isn't that a waste of time and resources? And actually, it's this passage, one of many passages that shows, that gives a good argument, reason, understanding why we should do this. You see, in the preceding chapters, we see the creation of social relationships. We see the creation of technology and we see the creation of culture. They're all actually in Genesis chapter 4. The creation of social relationships is the creation of family. Family is brilliant. There's not a single society on the face of this earth where you will not find family. The only problem with family in Genesis 4 is very shortly after it's been created, the brothers are killing one another. And some of us know as much about that as the brilliance. In fact, some of you, when I said family is brilliant, thought, no, it's not. And that's because you've had experience of that second part. So it starts great, but very quickly it's fallen. And we see the same with technology. There's metal workers in Genesis chapter 4. They're creating agricultural implements. Later they would go on and create buildings and transport systems and bridges and all sorts of things using the same material. But it's not long after the fork and the spade and the hoe are created that somebody picks them up and says, these could be weapons, I could kill somebody with this. You think it's again, technology, great, now it's fallen. And then you see, towards the end of Genesis chapter 4, you see musical instruments for the first time in scripture and you see poetry. You think, great, love music, love the arts, love poetry. The only thing is that the poetry there is all about revenge and killing. Seventy times I will revenge. Which is actually, incidentally, why Jesus said forgive seventy times. It's code for those that knew the story to say I want to reverse the whole thing. So you see in the lead up to Abraham's story, you see family, society, technology, culture, all being created and then all falling. So five times in these chapters, 11 chapters, the earth is cursed. Here's, on the next slide, there's the references. Five times it's cursed. Maybe we could have the next slide, please. So have you ever wondered why Abraham's told that he will bring blessing five times? The earth's cursed five times, now Abraham's going to bring blessing five times. Do you see the link? You understand what Abraham's being told? You are to reverse every part of sin, shame, darkness, suffering, badness, evil. All of it is to be lifted forever. So even in these verses here, we see cultural, social and spiritual renewal. We're invested in this. Christchurch London is committed, our mission, cultural, social, spiritual renewal, and the third thing that I just wanted to say is we love multiple services. We love lots of services in different locations. I think you guys love it here. It was, you know, so powerful this morning in the South to see people weeping, people hugging, people who had old Christchurches had flown back from Vancouver, old Christchurches had flown from Australia, others had come from around this nation. And I said this morning, I said, you know, there will be people in London who've lost someone very dear to them and they have none of this. No community and no hope. But 
gives us something to be very, very grateful for. So we think that multiple services is a very good thing. We're loving it. And also, incidentally, as we trace back over our 11-year history, we've always grown when we've started new things. Starting new things is not something to be afraid of in our history. It's always been good. When we started the church, we grew. When we moved venues, we grew. When we moved to the Mermaid and started a second service, we grew. When we started two, three new locations, we grew. In other words, we got to serve more people. Grow is probably not, I don't want to give the impression of some sort of imperialist venture. That's really not what we're interested in. We're just interested in the fact that Jesus has changed my life totally. I am a different person because I met him. I'm a different person because I received his forgiveness and got filled with his power. In fact, people actually came up to me, I was in my last year at school, and said, what's happened to you? Now, if we can give that as a gift to others, isn't that worth it? And isn't that worth doing over and over and over again? So those sort of three introductory things, it's personal. We, this, we're really invested in this. We work for the cultural, social, and spiritual renewal. And we do it through multiple services. That's the way we think we can best do it. So what's the vision? Vision for 2020. And I should say, before we go any further, this is not the end point. We see 2020 as like getting to base camp. You know, if you're going to climb a really high summit, then you don't just, you can't fly into base camp. You've got to walk quite a long way to get there. So this is the walk to base camp. The goal is to get there in good health and vitality so that we can start to think about the summit. And we will talk a little bit about what we know of the summit when we get to Love London Sunday. You have got to come if you possibly can. We are going to have an absolutely fabulous day. Just saying. Six things, five things, how many there are in terms of our dream for 2020. Number one, eight services on six sites. Eight services on six sites by 2020. And people say to me, when I say this, always the first question is where? And we're like, well, we're sort of trying to work it out. I think I said at one of the services, if, if you've read the book of Acts, the leaders often are the last people to work this one out. It's actually people who start something, it gets full of life, all sorts of people join it, and then leaders sort of go over and recognize what's happened. So it could be anywhere. But we're praying about North London. We've got a whole load of people in North London who come to the Mermaid. We're seriously praying about somewhere probably between the Victoria and the Piccadilly line, if you know that area of London and how they go out. But then there's another crowd in Sutton. So we're praying about that as well. And I know some of you guys have been thinking, well, it'd be nice, you know, great to have this service, but maybe we could have a morning service in the east. I'll just punch the air. His son will be punching the air when he's old enough to understand as well. Well, we couldn't do that here. A church already meets here in the mornings, and it's their building. So I have to go somewhere else. Where do you fancy? We'll go anywhere. There's lots of people who want to follow Jesus. Maybe we'll go a bit further out and start something in the mornings there in due course. But, you know, if Tim Frisbee was here, he'd be saying, David, he said, how about the South? Well, I said to the South service this morning, I said, I don't care. Start a morning service or an afternoon service next. It really, it doesn't matter to me. You can start at 9.30 and do a 9.30 and 11.30, or you can do a 10 o'clock and a 5 o'clock. I said, you choose, but just start services. 
And then in the West End, we were comfortably full in the Swiss church this evening. Virtually no one there over the summer. But now all the students are back. We're full. Worship's great. Preacher wasn't bad. <laughs> we, had a, we had a great time. And we said, well, it'd be great to start a second one. We'd have to move it forward a bit and probably a four and a six or something like that. There's another church who own that building who meet there in the morning. So we can't do that. But you get the picture. We want to do that in due course all over the city. We want to fill this city with services in due course. But we want to start with eight services on six sites by 2020. The second thing we want to do is see much greater level of ethnic and gender diversity at every level of Christchurch London leadership. One of the most exciting things about the last few years at Christchurch London is the greater diversity that we have amongst us. It's been wonderful. But that hasn't yet really affected our leadership structures as much as it needs to. And clearly, the leadership of any church should reflect the area, the community that it's serving. So we've got some work to do there, and we'd appreciate your help and uh, your prayers that by 2020 we'd be in good shape on that one. Thirdly, we want a much greater effectiveness in terms of spiritual renewal. We want greater effectiveness. We've made lots of changes in the, our life together over the last few years so that people who are exploring faith can come and be part of us for long enough to answer their questions. Now we want to make sure that people, you know, get through to that point. Yes, I've got it now. I want, I want a relationship with him. Three types of people come to Christchurch London. First of all, skeptics. Skeptics are those who don't believe anything the preacher says. And have got questions about just about everything. We love having skeptics here. And for some of them, they just feel like they can hang on in this community by the, you know, just about. They can just about cope with our level of positiveness and confidence and all those sorts of things, which skeptics often find difficult. But our goal for skeptics is that we give the opportunity for every skeptic to understand, the claims, understand and consider the claims of Christ. That, that's, that would be our dream. Then the second group are seekers. These are people who are looking for truth, who are wanting reality, who are wanting their questions answered. And our goal for every seeker is that they would have an opportunity to experience the love of Christ. Now, we get to experience the love of Christ in one of two ways. Sometimes we get to experience it through you, through the way you are tender, caring, go the extra mile with someone else, they experience the love of God. Sometimes it's more unmediated than that. We had time tonight, we'd have all sorts of stories of people who saying, I was just doing X, Y, and I experienced the love of God. Well, we want that as well. Skeptics, seekers, and the final group are the Christians. The majority of the people in this room right now. What we want to do for those that are followers of Jesus Christ is we want to strengthen you in your faith and we want to equip you to pursue your personal mission effectively. And so we want to give more attention to that. Eight services, six sites, cultural gender, diversity, ethnic and gender diversity, spiritual effectiveness. Fourthly, cultural, greater emphasis on cultural renewal. It's been one of the great joys of my life to lead such an amazing group of men and women as the Christchurch London and watch so many of them the other six days of the week, not Sunday, using their gifts, passions and abilities to work for the good of the city. Last week, I had two Christchurchers on national television and radio. Different times, both of them using their skills, their position, their arguments for the sake of the city or for the sake of the nation. 
I remember a few years ago now going into Waterstones and seeing in the recommended, the sort of top 10, 10 or whatever they do list, a Christchurch's first novel, which there was a wonderful backstory to, of God at work. I love it when I hear stories of Christchurches who have excelled in the workplace and are respected as a result. I love to hear stories, musicians, filmmakers, and singers, and the way that they're working. I love, I've got to watch people fight for justice, shape the national conversation, and even shape and change the laws of this land. And there's some of us who are adults with young children at home. And when we talk about renewing culture, the culture is the bedroom and the living room and the place where our little ones are living. And we say, I'm going to make this a fabulous atmosphere and I'm going to offer friendship and hospitality to the lonely and those in social need in this area. And that, of course, is just as wonderful as anything else. And what we're praying for by 2020 is that there'll be somebody, somebody who has done, pers- who done culture renewal themselves. And we're able to say, we want you to work full time for us and lead the charge on this and coordinate across our multiple services and identify areas of cultural life where we can really contribute and be, you know, a positive blessing. And so we're very excited about that. And that will complement a new charity that Philip and I are launching. Next slide, please. Which we will call Forum, which we're launching at the beginning of next year which is going to be part of Christchurch London's gift to the city because we're going to draw together leaders and influencers from right across society, not just Christchurches, but much more broadly as well, to work for the common good and for the sake of the city. We'll tell you more about that on Love London Sunday, the one that's going to be fabulous, coming up in a few weeks' time. That's the culture renewal. And finally, we want to give increased effectiveness or increased emphasis to social renewal as well. Uh, If we could have the next slide, please. Uh, That's just a summary of some of the things that we're doing right now and the ways in which we're working in terms of social renewal. Our prayer is that we would have some gifted expert, man or woman, not an expert to do all the work. We're looking for an equipper, someone who gets us doing all the work, uh, who will, again, by 2020, be part of our team, who will teach us also not just to do more, but will teach us about living socially just lives. I don't think we've really talked or thought very much about that. Somebody, we had a trustees meeting recently, one of trustees said, how about social justice in our own lives? I thought, ooh, probably should do that. And so our prayer is that, for all of that, and I'd love to think that right across the services, right across the city, that this person would be able to say, hey, there's this issue for London, this big problem, why don't we lean all together into this issue and really make some big contribution there so that people can say, on that thing, the church led the way. Wouldn't that be wonderful? So that's, that's part of our dream, is that by 2020, these things would have happened. It's part of our response to Abraham and his dream. And so we simply want to ask, and I want to ask just in these final few minutes, is, well, what's next? It's all very well to have a dream. Dreams get bad names when nobody does anything about them but just talks about them and never does anything. And Abraham clearly had to do something. Here it says, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Go, get going, pack up your home, 
Get your possessions together, your flocks, your herds, your children, your grandparents, the whole family, and get them on the move. I wonder what the equivalent is for us. In what way do we need to move? Well, I want to suggest that our first challenge, our first challenge, and there will be many, and there'll be many different ones, but our first challenge is actually a financial one as a church. I mean, you'll not be surprised to know that four services in four locations is more expensive than two services in one location. Not only that, but over the last nine months, there's been a number of people who I've got to know, or other members of the team have got to know, and we just thought, man, you could really help us get to our 2020 base camp. And we've said to them, can you come and work, for the, join the team? And they said yes. And we've been sure that that's the right thing to do, but that's upped our bills as well. So we reckon that we're going to be about £250,000 short of what we need to accomplish the first steps on this vision for this next year. Now, what we've done in the past at this point is we've taken offerings, amazing offerings. It's been one of the unexpected, surprising highlights of Christchurch London Life has been the generosity of this church. And we've taken autumn offerings. We don't want to do that this year. We're going to do it differently. This year, rather than be thinking about an offering, we want to think about our regular ongoing giving. And over the next five weeks, we want this theme of what this theme of what's next will run through every one of our services. And we want that question to look at that question in three areas. What's next for the life of this church? I've spelt out a little bit of that for 2020. Secondly, what's next for you and me in our spiritual life? The Apostle Paul has this great thing when he starts talking about money and vision. Do you know what he does? He says, oh, forget it. Let's talk about your and my relationship with God. And when he writes to the Corinthians, he says, give yourself to God and then worry about the rest. So the second question is, what is your next step spiritually? What's the habit you need to create or the habit you need to stop? What's the, per what's the thing that you need to say or the thing that you need to stop saying? The thing you need to do. What's the spirit prompting you that you could come alive spiritually or take your next steps? That's the second question. What's next for the church? What's next for our spiritual lives? And thirdly, what's next in terms of generosity? What's next in terms of generosity? So you'll find... Probably if you go on to the website at the end of this evening service, that there'll be a new banner with what's next. There's also, next slide please. Oh, that's great. That's the banner. Uh, next slide, please. What's next? Christchurchlondon.org. You need to check that out. The video that we watched this evening is on there. There's other videos that interviews. There's a disproportionate number of East London Christchurches on that site. I sense somebody's influence there. There's stories, there's interviews. We're going to add more every week. Uh, we've also actually, the one person who's not a Christchurcher who we have interviewed is my dad. My dad, ah, oh, yes, thank you. My, my, dad, my dad started giving his money to God's work when he was 19 and a student at the Royal London. The East, and he was a student just out here. He's now 80. So he's been giving for 61 years. So we thought, oh, he's worth talking to. So I, got, I had the 
pleasure and the opportunity to actually sit down and we, I interviewed him on film. We'll be putting it on the What's Next site in the next couple of weeks. We'll be showing it as well. Because we thought, you know, we might learn from someone who's been doing this for 60 years. Because none of us have. Well, pretty much none of us, anyway. I would hate to presume. <laughs> but it's wonderful having you here. Oh, man. Look at that. Just turned 85. You're making my father look an absolute youngster as a result. You, so basically, we want to ask three questions in terms of generosity. And the, uh, and the, uh, and the question, or, or, or three groups of people. Some of us maybe have never given at least regularly to God's work. And we, you know, we hope that you will consider starting to give regularly at whatever point is appropriate for you. I'm going to talk more about the Bible and money. The Bible has loads to say about money. Incidentally, it has much more to say about money than it has to say about sex, but we'll talk about that next week. But maybe you've never given regularly. Maybe it would be time. Maybe for some of us here, we are giving regularly. But maybe as we listen to the Spirit, we find the Spirit's asking us to increase that amount. For some of us, we carry a conviction that we should be giving it around the 10% mark. And I know numbers of us will be here. Well, it's an opportunity to hear from the Spirit. Is there a further adventure to go on? Maybe we could have the next slide. I want to just show you something of the breakdown we're thinking about. Let's just go from the bottom up. Forgive me, I realize it's the unusual way to do it. We're praying for 150 people who will start to give £10 a month. That can't be all you guys, because we've got virtually all students in the West End, so I think maybe some of you as well. 65 with 20, 70 with 30, 40 with 50, 40 with 100. This is per month. 10 with 500 and 5 with 1,000. This is central London, or London, where salaries are higher than anywhere else in the country. I know it costs more as well, but we'll get into all of that next week. There you go. But that, that for those of you that are very quick at math, maths, that adds up to just over 250,000. So that's the sort of miracle that we're praying for. Okay? Let me finish by just giving you, explaining why I'm so excited about these next five weeks, and I genuinely am. The first reason is because I think it will do us a whole load of good spiritually. Whenever you talk about money, it affects your heart. And even if you leave money out of it, do you remember, give yourself first to God. Imagine if over all four Christchurch London services, over the next five weeks, everyone gives themselves to God in a new way. Forget money. Let's say we don't get any money at all. But everyone gives themselves to God. That would be amazing. Think of the things that would come out of that. So I'm really excited about the spiritual renewal in our lives that we will get to enjoy over these next five weeks. The second thing I'm excited about is that it means that you and I get to partner in changing the world in a way we'd never get to do by ourselves. When I look out over this crowd of very capable, gifted men and women in this room, I think, wow, I get to partner with you. You get to touch parts of the world I'll never get to touch, but if I can do it with you, I get to do things that I'd never otherwise get to do. And vice versa. So we get to partner together. And the third reason I'm so excited about this is because all of us will become more courageous as a result. Have you noticed how life throws challenges at you? 
But the challenges are never the same as the one before. They grow as you overcome them. Let me just, as an example, let me talk about this church and generosity. Many of you know that when we thought about coming to London, Philip and myself, Andy and a few others, we thought about coming here and starting a church in Zone 1. I called an old pastor friend of mine and said, thinking of starting a church in Zone 1, he said, don't do it. You'll be so stupid. He said, it costs so much. You don't do it. Well, we did. But neither of us, when we were having that conversation, knew that three months later, a man I'd never met would give me a check for £100,000 and say, would that, could that help you get a church started? And I said, yes, <laughs> it most definitely could. Thank you very much indeed. And that's how we got the church started. It seemed insuperable at the time. Last autumn, we said, we need 300,000 pounds to start three services. And that is clearly three times the original. It was a bigger step. It required more courage. Remarkably, you as a church, through your generosity and through the grace of God upon you, gave 400,000 pounds. Extraordinary. And now there's a challenge again. Maybe we just put that last slide back up. Is that possible? Can't, I'm not sure who's doing the slides, but... Is it possible just to put that last one back up? Maybe not. Uh, I'm sorry, Nate. I mean the, uh, the one with the £10, £20, £30. Anyway, that, that feels more of a challenge to me than £300,000. It's another step of courage. But as we do that, you'll never grow in courage by sitting in church. The only thing church can do to help you grow in courage and become a more courageous person is the decisions you make that you then live out outside the church. That's the opportunity that we have for us. And so I want to just say, I think we're in for a really exciting five weeks. Check out the website. There's literature available at the back. Take it as you go. And over these next five weeks, we'll look at different aspects. And the goal is that we celebrate on Love London Sunday. And by Love London Sunday, we've all decided, here's what we want to do. I mean, just so you know, when I talked with the senior leadership team and our ministry leaders, they said, we don't want to wait. We want to decide over the summer. And by about the end of the first week in September, 90% of those guys had already made a commitment. They said, we're in for X amount. So just so you know, some of the leaders have gone ahead, as leaders should do. But we've got until Love London Sunday. I'm asking you to pray, asking you to stay open-hearted. And we've got the next step of the adventure. And I like adventures, and I think you do too. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in this church. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit christchurchlondon.org